Words from that phenomenal piece of poetry that we heard read at the beginning of the service from the book of Revelation. After this I looked and behold a great multitude which no man could number from every nation, from all tribes, peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and worshiping God. The history of faith down through the ages is a rich and diverse one. It encompasses the whole of human experience. Ordinary people, cranks, it's helpful because it includes the clergy, introverts, young and old, in between, innovators, dull traditionalists, and bright traditionalists. Those cast out and those at the center. There is no norm for sanctity. Revelation is a kind of narrative poem of the history of faith. And the words from the beginning of that reading come from the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean. And John was writing about a vision that he'd seen and heard and felt passionately. Time and space have no limitation, neither does race or creed. Angels and the supernatural are commonplace. You can shoot from earth to heaven in a moment. It's human language being used in its most creative and powerful form of vision and poetry. I saw another angel ascending from the sun. Colors and sounds and visual images race through those wonderful words in those passages from the Bible, the apocalyptic literature, the warnings of the end to come. You can see St. John on a hot beach on Patmos, really enjoying himself, Coca-Cola, a straw, a sun hat, really having a go on the island of Patmos. And it was that experience. The beginning of chapter seven of Revelation is really an ecological anthem about the earth, the sea, and the sky. And there at the center are the saints of God, the faithful stewards of all that they've been given, shining in white, close to God, surrounded by messengers of hope, praising their God. And then in the middle of this act of praise, a voice cries out, who are these? Who are these? They are those who've come out of the turmoil. They're here because they've stayed close to the lamb and are washed by him. And now they are with their father in heaven. They finally made it home. What a wonderful description of coming home to rest with God. As I was carrying the ashes of Chadvara through to the garden to uh, see whether they fitted in the hole that's been dug, I could hear a voice inside saying to me, I'm coming home, I'm coming home, watch out. I, Chadvara, come to rest. And I thought of All Saints Day being a real reception for those ashes coming back as they are to everybody who returns home to God. All sorrow is gone. They are now at peace. And in the words of St. John, God has wiped away every tear from their eyes. It's a vivid picture of a vivid truth about those who love God. They will eventually be happy, the blessed. They did not always get it right. Sometimes they got it wrong very wrong. 
but they stayed true to their faith and kept coming back home. Sometimes they forgot God, but he did not forget them. But they came back, they returned home, and in forgiveness, God loved them. God loved them into the kingdom of heaven. I suggest to you that a human life without hope or a life that someone else has taken away hope is a life not worth living. It misses the one single ingredient necessary for a life lived in God. It was hope that turned despair for Jesus on the cross into hope, changed him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Became your will be done into your hands. I commit my spirit. Jesus was at the center of hope. It's possible to see the Christian religion as a kind of cozy club, nice people doing good. And the many people who genuinely see the community of the church as a nice, safe, harmless, useless group of twits. Sadly, some of them are church people. But these views are a travesty of Jesus and his teaching. They are in fact lies about Jesus and his friends. And in the fifth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, that comes to shatter such illusions. And this great chapter also comes to explode the myth that the saints of God resemble plaster statues with halos, images of nice people doing nice things. Goodness, not niceness, is the mark of someone close to God. Courage, not meekness, has been the mark of the saints of God. Individual personalities on fire with a conviction about God's kingdom mark out the people of God. And that should be marking out Christians from the rest of the world, not depressed people looking inwards, using the church as an escape, but a group of people turning out from the church and bringing life where life is not always found. And the gospel for today from Matthews states very clearly who will be blessed and who will be damned. And that's the option, nothing in between. Jesus sets standards, questions the religious establishment about where it lived as he does today. And the fifth chapter spells it out. And the fifth chapter is the fundamental charter for the Christian church, for a life that reverses the world's accepted standards. Who are the blessed? Who are the saints of God? Let's see by observing the damned. Who are the damned? Those who do not know themselves as they really are and who refuse to know God. It's quite clear, and we have to make a personal choice one way or the other. Jesus speaks today by the Sea of Galilee, marking out the believer from the unbeliever, the nice people from the Christians, the blessed ones, the happy from the damned, the unhappy. And you will be familiar with that chapter from Matthew's Gospel. But here it is in reverse, the damned. 
Do you need God? If you think you don't, the kingdom of heaven will escape you and you will be permanently unhappy. Are you able to feel sorrow for your sins, for your shortcomings, for where you don't come up to your own standards? If not, you will never be at peace. That is damned. Are you able to be gentle, patient with yourself and other people? God, I need to take that to heart. If so, God will be gentle with you. Otherwise, you will live in a personal torment. Do you curse people, wish things were otherwise, get in a state about events, watch out because if you do, you will never be content. Do you extract the last apology from a friend, harbor permanent resentment, say I will never forgive him or her, you will be without God's mercy alone and unhappy forever. Is your heart and mind caught up in the rat race? Are you envious and talk about others behind their back? Well, expect people to treat you in exactly the same way and talk about you behind your back. And they'll have a ball, let me tell you. And if you're a parish priest, you know what it's really like. Do you work for conflict? Do you look for differences? Do you enjoy a good argument, unresolved? Do you constantly assert yourself at the expense of others? If so, you are aliens to God. And are you always right? Are you always right? Or are you someone who treads on others in case you lose face? God does not know you at all. If you can accept yourself and others as they are and lose a few arguments and know that you need help, you will be, understand the saints of God and above all else the purpose of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come to call the nice people, the elect, the people who never do any wrong. He came to call the oppressed, the poor in kind and spirit, those who know they need help. A Christian is not a nice person, but a nasty person who's seen what God in Christ can do for them. I put my hand up to that. That's what I am. The only qualification for receiving communion is that you need God's help. You're not a holy person. You need God's help. That's what the sacrament's about. Giving people courage, enthusiasm, and hope. And if you refuse communion, you're refusing God. There it is as a gift. You can never be worthy, only unworthy, which is why a priest is happy to stand at the altar and do what he does. It's like people who speak of my communion instead of our communion. We all start from the same base. We need God's love. We've all sinned, we've all hated in some way, and often it's God we hate for what he's done to my friend, my wife, my husband, or myself. We've got to get real about it. A Christian is one who acknowledges they need God's help and know where to find it in Jesus Christ. All saints tide is about that really odd bunch of men and women who found a way to live their lives, not in being nice, but in being human beings and growing closer to Jesus Christ day by day. Forgiven people who could forgive, sad people who became happy, weak people who became strong. The blesseds as opposed the damned. You don't think for a minute that you would necessarily have liked the saints of God, do you? 
Would you have liked them all? Do you think they're all terribly nice people? All middle class, living behind curtains, watching their television in Downton Abbey? St. Francis of Assisi, Teresa of Avila, St. Paul, St. Peter, Ignatius of Loyola, Oscar Romero, Archbishop Lumi, John Fisher, Thomas More, William Lord, Thomas Beckett. They were there not to be liked, but to change God's world through the power of his church. We all need help from God and from each other. All Saints Tide comes to remind us of the huge company of creatures who by their lives proclaim justice, holiness and truth, often being hated for it. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no man can number from every nation under heaven. We give thanks to God for the lives known and unknown, which in their own way have changed each one of us. All of human life has been touched. It leaves an indelible mark on our world. To the saints of God of this parish, who've changed us in ways we shall never know. You might even be sitting near one right now. You don't know. To all of them, may their memories live in us, their ideals lead us to the Lamb who makes us clean through his blood shed for us on the cross, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Be quirky, be different. Don't be there to be loved and liked. Be there to change things in the name of a God whose power brought Jesus Christ through the cross into life, life eternal. Amen.